Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. So I have no new tragedy to report today, but I would like to do a follow-on story concerning the uh, mass casualty event that happened at our home over the weekend. Mm -hmm. There's ongoing investigation. Still no conclusive report has come yet as to the calls, and we're still working on all that. We have done some research, and look, here's, here's the key thing. If you don't want to lose your chickens, put them up at night. Now, I do that just about all the time. The problem is... We came home late. They were still out. I was tired. It was hot. You know how hot it is right now. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? One night's not going to hurt anything. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? One night and boom, 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 boom. And like, you know, you got six dead animals. Literally. Heads rolled. Yes. Bodies everywhere. <laughs> heads gone. <laughs> Keep the chickens locked up at night. Keep your ducks, your turkeys all locked up. That'll help save lives. But also... Get a fake owl. Oh. And I don't mean like Al Borland. I'm talking about an owl. You know, like Gomer Pyle. We're going to hit the ammunition dump, so we need one man to scout it. I'll do it. Don't you worry, Sergeant. I'm a real good sneaker. When do I leave? Right now. Okay. And when I come back, I'll give you my hooty hoot. Good. A hooty hoot? You know, (laughs) hooty hoot. Hooty hoot. Like an owl. That way you won't think it's an enemy trying to sneak up on you. Uh, Yeah, so apparently... Owls will will bite the heads off of chickens or tear the heads off a of chicken to kill it right away instantly. And they also like to eat chicken brains. So I didn't even know chicken brains was a thing, but it's a delicacy among the wildlife. Well, that explains that that answers the million dollar question of what kind of an animal kills another animal and, and doesn't eat it. Owl wasn't interested in no chicken breast, wanted chicken brains. Well, according to what I read, they will come back and claim the rest of it later. If, if they can get back and get it. But here's the main thing. You put up one of those fake owls, and, and folks, you got to thank us for this public service announcement, but birds of prey are deterred from other birds of prey in the area. And so it's like, whoa, whoa. Yep, hey, this. <laughs> That's Jim Bob's territory. Yep. I, ain't getting, I ain't messing with that. That's right, especially get a big one. You know, a real, a big one. <laughs> so we'll. we'll uh, ah, I, I want a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Will a fake owl deter real hawks? Oh, yeah. Yep. I heard that a long time ago, but I never thought about an owl having to deter another owl. I didn't think about owls killing chickens. Will a fake hawk deter a real owl? Well, you know, you would think that that would work, but where do you find a fake hawk? I guess you're right. Now, you could stuff a hawk, I guess, but that's <laughs> against the law. <laughs> you want to talk about setting an example? <laughs> Look here, Herman. You see what happens? You come around my chickens, you get stuffed. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's that's enough on that. Just wanted to kind of wrap that up. All right. So anyway, thanks for. Oh, by the way, have we welcomed everybody to Daybreak Devotions today? In our own unique way of yes. doing so. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, this is Pastor Mike Barnett, Pastor Corey Cantrell, over at the McLeansville Baptist Church, where it really is a joy to get back to the scriptures now. And we ended yesterday at verse number fourteen with basically this statement that Christ took the curse for us and opened the way of salvation to all people. The law 
had been given to Israel and had to do with Israel. But the covenant of Abraham was a covenant of faith through Christ, and that was given to all people. And which came first? That is what Paul's going to address here. He's going to make that point. So we come to an explanation of the law's purpose in verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now, what verse 15 through 18 is going to say to us is this. It's telling us, again, if you consider the legal documents of men, uh, it's confirmed, it's legal, it's set, it's not changed. How much more the covenant of God, which the law was given 430 years after the covenant. That's what he says in verse 17. I guess I should have read 17 and 18 as well. He says, the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise, but God gave it to to Abraham by promise. And so again, what these first four verses here that we just read are telling us is that if we consider a legal document of men, like a will, once it is confirmed legal, it is set, it is not changed. How much more then the covenant of God would be the same way? The law, Paul says, was given 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant, and it did not annul that covenant. The law changed nothing in God's promise. God's covenant is exactly that. It is a promise. Now, there's a passage in Hebrews that I think uh, might be worth turning to and reading, at least to make the reference to it, because you know, Hebrews is another one of those books in the Bible where I think a lot of people read it and they're like, ah, this sounds good, but what is this actually talking about? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, just listen to what is written here. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, that is, that it would not change, confirmed it by an oath or a promise. Boy, I tell you, just to interrupt that reading, some of these words don't seem to hold the same power today. You know, you hear about it today like somebody says, I I promise, I'll be there, I'll be there. A promise doesn't have the same power. But, man, when God makes a promise... Now, you can trust that. That's not going to change. And so he says in verse 18, Hebrews 6, that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. And so we have this promise made by God, which is unchangeable and unconditional. And that's important. Now, now here, one more point about this. This promise, we think of it as being between God and Abraham. And in a sense, it was God gave it through Abraham or to Abraham. But it's actually a promise between God and who? Everybody. Verse, verse 16. Well, I mean, hey, th- that's, what, that's what you would think, right? It's the promise of God to everybody. But actually, look at verse 16 again in our text. 
He says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So it is saying to us, this is a promise between God and his son. Now, that, there's all sorts of directions to go with that. Man, I want to go to all those passages in John where Jesus talks about I and the Father are one. I also want to go to all these passages in the New Testament that tell us that we are in Christ, one body. You know, So in essence, it is a promise to all that are in Christ, but the promise was made between God and his Son. How strong a promise would that be when you think about it like that? And I, as I'm sitting here processing all of that as well, because I mean, I th- my default answer is, you know, I mean, by thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. This promise, this Abrahamic covenant, was given to the whole entire world. It's for everybody's benefit. But to look at it through the lenses of but no, this covenant, this promise was made from the Father to the Son, and then everyone that comes into the Son is a beneficiary and a recipient of that promise. I mean, it, it really does tighten the, the significance of that promise because... We're not talking about holy God that is making a promise with finicky fallen man. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about God that is promising, look, I am doing this myself, manifesting it through my son, and then anybody that is willing to come along is going to benefit as well, but this is about something far bigger than just God and man. Yeah, it, one of the major points that it gives us is that this is all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. which is part of, you know, going back days ago when we were studying here in chapter 2, reminding ourselves that the reason the doctrine of justification, why it's so important to get it right, one of the reasons we gave is the assurance of salvation. And this this is part of the assurance of salvation. I know that what God has promised, he cannot lie, he cannot change, and the promise was made to Abraham and his seed. So yet yeah, was given to Abraham but it was given to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ. And so everybody who comes to Christ by faith, they are of faithful Abraham. Mm -hmm. Back to verse number 9, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And so it's all about Jesus. And there you start thinking about all those passages in the Bible, you know, Colossians and Ephesians, and and it just talks to us about how that Jesus is everything. It's all about him. That's a very comforting thought. Yes. And it takes away that whole thing of, well, am I going to be good enough? Am I doing it right? Am I, you know, I look at myself, am I really a Christian? Am I behaving like a Christian? You know, well, a Christian's going to behave like a Christian, mm-hmm. right? Well, how does a Christian behave? Imperfectly. Yeah. But trusting Jesus. All right, so moving right along then into verse number 19, he says, Wherefore then serveth the law? Now, I wanted to say this, I was noticing as I was looking at this chapter. Paul does this a lot in other places too, but I like the question and the answer format he uses here. Verse 19 and verse 21, he's going to present questions. What I like about that, I think it's a good teaching technique. He's trying to forecast what questions the listener or the reader is going to have. And right here he says, uh, what or wherefore then serveth the law? As if he's getting ahead of the person thinking, well, then if this all comes through the covenant with Abraham, then what in the world was this whole law and Moses stuff about? That's a fair question. Right. I think it's a good thing for that to be brought up, and Paul is doing us a favor. He's addressing, he's answering that. He says, It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. 
So what was Paul saying right there? Why did we have to go through all this law stuff then if it's all about the covenant made through Abraham into Jesus? Well, Paul says, first of all, the law was a lamp. That's the way I would say it. Like The law illuminates your sin. Mm -hmm. The law makes sin very evident in your life. Now, Paul has multiple places that he talks about this. Uh, some of the, the, the key ones are in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That's an important phrase used here. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. People don't like the idea of being condemned, like, they say, well, you know, I just don't get into that church stuff and religion because it's all about condemning. No, that's not true. The law condemns, and that's the reason the law was given. If we look into the law, we see just how imperfect and sinful we are. He said, and that's where Paul goes on in verse 20, Romans 3, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then in chapter 5, verse number 20 and 21, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. When the law comes in, it shines the light on our sin and it makes the sin, as he's going to say, exceeding sinful, chapter 7, verse 13. But the law enters that the offense might abound, but where the sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yes. That's the beauty of the covenant. Yep. By highlighting the, the magnitude of our condemnation, of all that we are guilty of, it, by default, also highlights the significance of the gift. You know, it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like if you're the child and you've got every single toy in the toy store and somebody comes up and brings you this really expensive toy, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks. But it doesn't really mean that much because you're just loaded with everything else. But when you see how much you actually don't have and somebody comes up and presents you with a nice gift... Now, all of a sudden, the appreciation level goes way out because, you know, man, I, I had nothing. And this mm -hmm. is what a great gift. The law does the exact same thing. It highlights just how bad of condition we were in. And then when we see the great gift that Jesus paid, it actually magnifies the significance and the beauty and the greatness of the gift of God by Jesus. And the wonderful thing is we're not having to convince God that this is true. This was his idea. Yeah. I mean, we're just kind of like unpacking it, looking at it, saying, wow. This is that great gift. Yes. And, uh, and so, so the law was given so that people would see their need for God, and thus, going back to yesterday's discussion on this, thus live in obedience, expecting salvation through the promise. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's putting it all together right there. So let me say that statement again, and then I'm going to read some, something from chapter 4. So, so the law was given so that people would see their need for God, and thus, in that conviction of sin, choose to live in obedience to what the law said, but expecting salvation to come through the promise of Abraham. And so in chapter 4, listen to how Paul writes this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so that's where Paul kind of lays that all out. 
You know, the law got us. It showed us who we really were, what we were really like. And again, that phrase, we were under the law. And that comes up again in a few verses, but it's basically saying the law had us bound. Mm -hmm. But in that, we were able to see from our desperation how much we needed the promise. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent Jesus to redeem them that were under the law and give them the opportunity to be adopted as sons into the family of God. These are great promises. Now, notice the end of verse 19 and verse 20. He says, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Okay, so what Paul is saying right there, because those, those verses took me a moment to think through. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. What was? The law. The law was given by angels through a mediator, which was Moses. All right? But there's no mediator to the promise. Mm -hmm. The promise was given directly to Abraham and his seed. No mediator involved. God did it. This is like this is the little nuggets like that we don't get unless we read the entirety of Scripture. In other words, God said when he gave the law, you go, you go, you go, and tell Moses what I want. Yep. But when God came to Abraham 430 years before that, he came himself. Wow. Now think about that in terms of the gospel. When God sent his son, he didn't pick a you or a me or a Muhammad or a, a Buddha or some great per He came himself. himself. Wow. And so there is, who is the mediator? God himself. You know, Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the mediator between God and man. God came himself. God shall, what did he tell Abraham? Or Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb, mm -hmm. right? So the law actually is laid up next to or beside the covenant so that when we look at that, we can see how superior faith is to law. It, it really showcases to the, to the people that want to highlight the, the wrath of God and the judgment of God, which you and I both know God is faithful and he's going to judge. But just, just in what we've just unpacked right there, think about this. The good news that has come to mankind has come from God himself. He's brought the good news and the hope of redemption. That news has come by himself. The method of, of highlighting our sin and wickedness has come from other messengers. So for anybody that says, oh, yeah, you know, that God of the Old Testament, boy, he was a God of wrath. He was just always breathing down judgment. Actually, even all the way back in the book of Genesis, God has always been about the business of bringing his love and good news to mankind, mm -hmm. of, of offering himself. Now, it took time, and it took steps, and, and this, that, and the other, but God is the same God from Genesis to Revelation, and he is presenting himself to man if we are willing to come to him in the way that he has prescribed. So verse 21, Paul says, is the law then against the promises of God? So again, he brings this question, and he says, so does the law then have, that? what's the conflict here? Is there a conflict between the law and the promise or the covenant? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been given by the law. So I wrote that down in kind of in my own words. So he's basically saying, no, if the law could give life, we could get to God by obeying the law, right? Mm -hmm. That would make sense. 
And if you could obey the law, which we've already established that we can't do that perfectly, but if you could do it, yes, you could get to God. But the problem is Paul is describing to us here and elsewhere that we are under sin, and that is that we were bound in it. We were prisoners to it. So we had to first be made free. In other words, we didn't have, as we've said over and over again, we didn't have the the ability to, to live according to the law. We were entrapped. We were bound. And so verse 22 says, the scripture hath concluded all under sin. That literally means we were bound by sin. We were kept confined by sin so that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The only way to be made free the only way to get out of that bondage was to believe. So my bondage kept me from living as I should. Christ made me free. So now that I can pursue holiness in him. And right there is where we come back to places like 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, you know, whereby given to us exceeding great and precious promises. We come to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath it is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I can now do those things. I can live that way because first I was made free by Jesus. I had to be got, brought out from under the sin. That's what Paul is saying. Mm-hmm. So to anybody, in other words, to anybody who is saying, I believe that if I do good enough, if I will live up to the standards of the Bible and the Ten Commandments and I'll be a faithful Christian I will make it to heaven. You've bypassed the first thing that has to happen. You're still in prison. Yes. You can be a good prisoner. You can be a model inmate, but you're still locked up. And until Jesus comes and sets you free, you are still in that prison of sin, and you cannot be right with God. Again, justification by faith is vital. It cannot be by our works because it's impossible to get there. So this is really that radical liberty in Jesus that we've been talking about. Radical grace brings radical liberty all in Jesus Christ. So as we sum all this up then, kind of coming to the end of chapter 3, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Basically what Paul was saying, the law was kind of like a warden of the prison. Mm -hmm. So we were bound in sin, but the law was the keeper. The law was the warden. The warden's job, contrary to a lot of movies, the warden's job is to keep the prison secure, yeah. keep the inmates secure. He's not the bad guy. Yeah, he's not the bad guy. The law was not the bad guy, but it kept us secure while we were under sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you when you were an Old Testament person, or you were you know even the law written in our heart that the Gentiles have, like our our conscience, when we do the things that are right and we seek God, that is an act of faith, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't justify us except through Christ, but. We're kind of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey this. While we're under sin, it keeps us secure. But the law also, verse 24, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law was like a guardian of our immaturity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I looked up the word schoolmaster in Webster's Dictionary, 1913, and it, it gave this definition or this description of a schoolmaster. What a schoolmaster does is discipline and direct. It's actually the Greek word is, I'm probably saying this wrong, but a, like a pedagogue. It's someone who is in charge of a child. Yes. Someone who has been given the charge of taking the child. Actually, like the child's got to get to school. You're going to walk them to school and keep them safe. The law was our keeper to get us to Christ. 
who would set us free, who would justify us by faith. So again, Paul's just laying it all out. The law has a purpose. We need the law. But faith now takes over once we've been brought to Christ. And by faith, we're made children of God. By faith, we're made heirs of his kingdom, his promises. We're made joint heirs with Christ. And for one more reference to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15 and 17, Paul writes, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. This is what it has brought us to. We are now in Christ, children of God, joint heirs with Christ. And the last verses of this chapter tell us what the effect, at least I think they lead me to think about what the effect should be. I'm a child of God. Anybody who comes to God by faith in Jesus Christ, we're children of God, joint heirs with Christ. And so the last verses say, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I just, my one thought to take from that, because really he's just encapsulating what he said, but is think about the unity and the finality of being in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says all those barriers are down. All those rankings are gone. You're in Christ. I'm in Christ. We are. There's equality in Christ, yes. and we can celebrate that. I mean, the world is looking for this equality thing. We're looking everywhere but the right place. See, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up because the world's idea of equality is just this kind of collective mush thinking mentality. Like equality in the world's um, thought process is. We're all the same. We all think the same. We all act the same. We all talk the same. We all react the same. We're basically just mindless clones of one another in this whole, because we're equal. In our celebration of differences. Yes. But that's, that's not at all what equality is in Christ. He has made us the unique people that we are. And he celebrates our uniqueness in him. But the equality is that I am no more preferred above or beneath you. I'm not lesser than. I'm not greater than. We can serve together, and we can worship together, and we can be together. And there's none of these man-made barriers of differences that have really been ever since the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. There's All of that is broken down because now it's okay for us to come together and work together. You know, before Babel... It was dangerous for mankind to work together because they were building in their own image. They were building in their their own way, and they were elevating themselves. And so God brought all of these differences to keep mankind from self-destruction. Well, now in Christ, we actually can be unified and work together because we're building in a name far greater than our own. We're building for the name of Christ and to the glory of God. And so it ceases to be about us, and it becomes all about God, and God welcomes our Mutual cooperation for his honor and for his glory, and he blesses that as well. Well, next time we'll get into chapter 4. I read part of that earlier, but I think he's going to begin to flesh out some of the, quote, you know, elements Mm -hmm. that we can find ourselves back in bondage to, though we've been set free and made, made heirs and joint heirs. 
and, and warning us of that. So that should be pretty interesting. So thanks for joining us today. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.